That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, here we are. We're back with another episode of The Same Old Song, your weekly A Mockingbird preaching resource. I am Jacob Smith, and this is Aaron Zimmerman, and uh, we are recording this week for the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. Woo! So we are in the season of Epiphany, which is all about revelation, and um, I am hoping to get a revelation soon of when I can get a COVID vaccine, because <laughs> I, I want to improve my 5G. So anyway, but uh, um, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I want to go. <laughs> You'll be a living antenna. Radiating electromagnetic fields blessing all around you, much like our Lord Jesus Christ. That's right, and Bill Gates will know exactly where I am at all times. So, but uh, if he doesn't already, how, uh, yeah. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm okay. Uh, which is not true. I'm actually, well, you know, I'm a mix of things. Uh, mm-hmm. I am. We're recording this on January 8th, so it's right before, right after the storming of the Capitol and all the events there. And I'm just, I'm, I feel like kind of this weird space, like we're recording it in the final days of the Trump administration, but when you are listening to this, dear listener, it'll be the early days of the Biden administration. And it's just a weird time, and like a lot of people, kind of glued to the TV and the Twitter feeds, and just uh, praying a lot, and trying to just uh, hang out with my family, and do the work of the church, mm-hmm. while... Uh, there's just crazy things going on in the world, uh, and yeah. the pandemic you know, ranges. And you know, yesterday I think we passed 4,000 deaths in one day—the first time we had done that as a nation mm. and, of COVID. So, anyways, this is a uh, this is a weird time. So I personally am okay. I got a little bit of knee pain, uh, and uh, I got a haircut. <laughs> That's kind of the big things in my life. But yeah, uh, it's a little crooked too. Yeah, thank so, you, but. thank you very much. But yeah, what about you? No, you know I'm hanging in there. I've just got. I just. I feel like I can't catch up, and so I'm constantly playing catch up right now. I have reorganized my office, so I'm you know feeling uh, organized, and now it's time to start figuring this crap out. And so, um, do you, you know, uh, do you like clean and organize to procrastinate? Um, sometimes, but this this was well needed. I mean, it had been. <laughs> This was like a, I had a COVID purge, and so uh, you know, and uh, and uh, I feel um, I feel a little more organized. Although I've moved my desk right by the radiator, I didn't repaint my office, which is a good thing. But anyway, I've moved my desk right by my radiator, and I am like my entire back is like wet with sweat. So it's so hot in this corner. But seven months out of the year, it should be good. Jacob Smith is so hot right now. Also, uh, it's like cheaper than an infrared sauna. Yeah, well, it's good. I do want to say that we are coming on Lent, and um, I am encouraging as many people as I can to stay to, to, to give up Twitter and to give up Facebook unless you are looking at cat videos or pictures of your, like, cousins, sisters, children who live in Seattle 
Um, like, quit reading politics, quit tuning into CNN and uh, Fox News and all of that stuff. And, you know, if you need to read the news, read the AP or something like that, just something very bland. And just take it easy and take a deep, deep breath. Uh, never forget that a lot of these cable news outlets, they're there to make a lot of money. And so they need a foe, and they love to get you riled up, and they want your neighbor to be the foe. They want your crazy Uncle Jared to be the foe. And um, I'm just telling everybody, take a break. Take a break. Uh, well, thank you, Jake. Um, I'm personally offended that you would tell me to get yeah, on Twitter, because how am I supposed <laughs> to get both my outrage and my dopamine hits uh, yeah. every 10 minutes? <laughs> Who are you going to call a Nazi? You know? (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's tough. All right. So enough with the chit-chat. On to the Bible in these crazy times. Well, one more chit-chat bit here. Pastors who are listening to this, and really anybody, but especially pastors, you're you're near and dear to our hearts because we're we're on your team. Uh, If you feel like, you know, Jake, I was touched by what you said, like you can't get caught up. I mean, that is all of us. That's the whole country right now, but I think clergy are feeling it especially. I know I have this week. It's just been hard to focus, and that's your that's your brain on drugs, as they say. Or I mean, not drugs, but the 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 trauma of a pandemic, the trauma of leading a congregation through a really uncertain time, the political upheaval, all of that affects us, and we're all basically trying to fight with one hand tied behind our back, uh, blindfolded, and it's just yeah, it's hard. So give yourself grace, uh, which you know I hope this podcast will do for you. Yeah, that's absolutely right, and so. Um so let and us so tell you how are. to preach. Yeah, absolutely. We got some good word for you. But uh, we have Isaiah 40, chapter 21 through 31 this week. And then we move into uh, 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 16 to 23. And then uh, the Gospel of Mark, we're at the end of chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. And so Isaiah, um, the prophet Isaiah, we are back a couple of chapters. You know, this is the interesting thing about the lectionary. Christmas, we're hopping all around it. And... Uh, in the uh, post-exilic period, but now we're kind of at the edge, right at the end of the exilic period. And uh, Yahweh is uh, reminding the people of Israel of what's up. And uh, this is a very powerful, they are in exile. And, uh, you know, and a lot of the times people can ask like, what's up with God? Where is he at? Uh, Why isn't he speaking? And the prophet uh, delivers uh, four questions to the people of Israel right from the beginning. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Have you not been told from the beginning? And have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circles of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, etc., 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 who brings to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. But the truth is, is that Israel has known, yes. They have heard, yes. Uh, It has been told to them from the beginning, all the way with Moses and Genesis. And uh, they have understood from the foundations of the earth because God has been speaking to them the whole time through his prophets. There's a difference between, uh, uh, I always always say this, uh, listening and waiting for your turn to talk. Um, Everybody is always waiting for their turn to talk. And you can tell this usually in two ways, with women. Uh, if you want to know when your friend's actually listening to you versus waiting for their turn to talk, uh, women, you know, you'll share a story and they'll immediately, if they're waiting for their turn to talk, they'll co-opt it by saying, oh my God, that happened to me once. And then um, guys, if they're waiting for their turn to talk, they'll say, well, let me tell you how to fix it. Yeah. 
Um, but, you know, and I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to hear. And this has been Israel's problem the whole time. Um, they haven't been listening to the God who speaks. And God is saying, man, I have been with you since creation. I'm the one who made you a people. I'm the one who pulled you up out of Egypt and delivered you from the Red Sea. And I have known you since the foundations of the earth. I've saved you before, and I'm going to save you again. Uh, get ready. And this is the same word that you should deliver to your people this Sunday if you're going to preach from Isaiah. You know, uh, God has saved us before because we look back to the story of the cross, which then makes the story of the Hebrews our story. Uh, and we have been saved. We look to our baptisms where we say, not I was baptized, but I am baptized, which enables us to look to the glory of God where he will deliver us again from death. And so this kind of becomes the, 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 the opening part, but that's how I would preach this. What would you say, Aaron? Uh, I would undermine everything you just said. No, I'm kidding. I love it all. <laughs> but I do. I was reminded when you talked about not listening, there was a great comic in The New Yorker a million years ago that was uh, an ad for a fictitious greeting card company called Narcissist Cards, Inc. And it had oh. examples of several cards, and so... The sympathy card on the cover of it, it said, I am sorry for your loss. And on the inside, it said, a sad thing once happened to me too. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's so classic. I mean, the, like the Bon Voyage card is like, the cover of it says, Bon Voyage. And on the inside, it says, I'm going to France. So uh, this is... But it's what we do all the time, and it's definitely what we it's do. It's totally. Uh, oh, my God, that happened to me once. Yeah, You're exactly. Like, really, thanks. Yeah. Narcissus Cards, Inc. Look it up on the New Yorker site. So the, uh, the thing, though, that I would add to this, uh, and I just kind of not taking away from anything you've said, but just kind of adding to it, would be this, um, this passage says something to us now, human beings, which is really important because... Uh, I, I'm going to wager that even when you are listening to this reader, even though it's we're almost we're recording about three four weeks before you will listen to it, uh, we will still be in a state of political conflict and uh, hand wringing and Twitter accusations and all these sorts of things. And this passage is a great way to zoom out, which is what God does. He says, "Zoom out." You're because the people of Israel are very much wrapped up in the political and ge the geopolitical drama of their day. They have had seen their, their political power diminish. The nations around them uh, have increased and are sort of owning them right now. And they want God to intervene and they feel like God hasn't intervened. And so this is God speaking and saying, look, zoom out. You're concerned about your political problems and your nations and you want to be the best nation and it's sort of like it's just it's just a bigger version of turf wars uh and if you zoom out you'll see that you guys are little ants and i'm standing over you like a person stands over little ants or in this case he says grasshoppers and um and he says to them, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. And this is implying to the people of Israel in verse 26, look up and look at the stars. Who made them? And he says, I bring out their host. I number them, calling them all by name. So I know, and, and in, in ancient Near Eastern thought and in uh, Hebrew thought often, stars were associated with the hosts of heaven, meaning the angelic armies of God. And so he's sort of saying, look, you're 
worried about earthly kings and who's in control. And I'm in control of all, and my army is the stars, and I have I know the name of each one of them. And and yeah. uh, and he says so. This passage is all kind of about divine power so much greater than human power. Divine wisdom, so much greater than human wisdom. Um, and he says, the job of human beings in verse 31 is to wait. The mm-hmm. job of human beings is not to take control, not to be activists, not to get on Twitter, as you said. The job of human beings, in some extent, is to wait. Now, is that am I saying that human beings should be completely uninvolved in politics if you're a Christian? No, that's not what I'm saying. Christians have this amazing ability, grown-ups, to do two things at the same time. You can be, you can have political opinions and care about stuff, but you can also have this perspective realizing that God is so much higher and bigger than all of us. We are essentially like little insects crawling on the ground, and this too will pass. It's not to say it doesn't matter, but this too will pass. Um, and you can think about the thousands of years of history between when these words were written and when you're hearing them today and how many empires have risen and fallen and how many civilizations have come and gone and to and to just get a little bit of that divine perspective. And that can make you feel pretty small. And if that does make you feel small, good. Because yeah. um, that that's not to make you like self-loathing. I don't mean small in that way. You are still beloved and made in the image of God. But all of us, um, as the scriptures tell us, we wither like grass. And this speaks very clearly to political power as well and how temporary it is. And that God brings princes to nothing in verse 23 and makes rulers of the earth as nothing. Well, yeah. So that's what I would say in this. Right. I think and, it's a great, it's a great and, antidote to the and, like, political anxiety we feel now. Yeah, and it, and it comes full circle when he says, My way is hidden from the Lord. And my right and my right is disregarded by my God. Um, yeah, and that's the, the question that the that the uh, reader or the the the, yeah. the person is feeling like. Why isn't God paying and, attention to me? Yeah, and uh, and uh, and and the prophet says, "Have you not known? Have you not heard?" And this is absolutely right. I think oftentimes the problem with the Christian is is that we think it's up to us to partner with God, you know, or that God somehow needs us in some way. And this is where it ends, you know, the, the, to emphasize what you said about waiting. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Uh, he's the one who does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. I mean, I'm exhausted, you know what I mean? I, I am faint. Uh, he gives, but, and this is what he does, you know, he gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless, you know, and in our vocations and in our callings where we are resting in him and allowing him to work through us, well, this is where his power manifests, um, you know, but even those do, folks doing it on their own, even the youth will faint and be weary and the young will fall, fall uh, exhausted. Uh, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. And they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. You know, it's what God is doing through us, um, not what are we doing for God. Mm. Uh, I've got a little bit of a hot take. Can I have permission to, to take it? Yeah, man. Uh, I think... Um one of the things that's really interesting... Hold on, let me check. Let me <laughs> check. Hold on. <laughs> uh, fill out an application. Hot take form yeah. number 307. Um, Hot take denied. Oh, okay. No, just kidding. <laughs> just the, kidding. Uh, the thing that's really interesting about this passage to me in light of Christianity and current events is that people in this passage are asking God for a political solution to their political problems. They're frustrated that God doesn't give it. 
And what's interesting uh, about Jesus Christ is that when he comes, everybody thinks finally God is going to answer these prayers for political ruler to control the military and make the world what it should be. And Jesus resists that with all his might. And even after his resurrection, he has zero interest in political power, so much so that he pieces out and, um, and, says his, and he tells Pilate himself, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm. And I think it is true, whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, and again, it's not saying that politics don't matter, I'm not saying we shall go live up in the mountains in a cave, but uh, there is something, there's something profound in the reality that Jesus never actually seeks political power. Um, and the church in its early history also never really sought political power. It's a relatively recent, um, in human history, a recent invention. And so I think that's just, it's good to note that if you, and I'm preaching to myself here as well, because I tend to have these days my mood rise and fall with whatever news is happening uh, politically, both domestically and internationally. But I think it's good to remember that this is the way things have always been, these rises and falls, and that mm -hmm. God is always God and will do some surprising things. And so when God comes to earth, he doesn't come to take political power. He comes uh, in Bethlehem and moves to Nazareth. Yeah. So that's I think, just, I yeah. think that's a, I think, and I think that's a very powerful segue into what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 16 through 23. I think one of the biggest traps that ministers can oftentimes fall into, and I, I've, I found myself falling into this before, and I've talked to um, uh, several of our colleagues who have uh, fallen, and I remember one time talking to one, you know, um, uh, fallen into like the, 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 the over-political side of things, or fallen like, you know, uh, to an addiction or something like that, and uh, what happened was, is I was talking to one particular uh, 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 pastor who had gotten really involved in like a political movement, and then, you know, and it led to ultimately uh, an addiction and a, and a big fall, and I was talking to him about it, and uh, and he said to me, you know, he said, there became a moment where I started to see uh, the gospel and my office as mine, and I started to begin to see uh, myself as deserving things. And uh, this uh, ultimately made me so exhausted that everything crumbled. Mm. And this is what Paul is saying in the opening part of our First Corinthians. If I proclaim the gospel, uh, that gives me no ground for boasting. For an obligation is laid on me, a.k.a. like uh, not a you better do this or else, but, but this is a call. And woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. And he goes, for if I do this of my own will, I will have, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? Just that, in my proclamation, I make, make the gospel free of charge. Yeah. You know, this is, this is the point, is that, um, is that you and I, we've all, as preachers, and this is just an encouraging word, whether you touch on this in your own sermon, but in our lives, our vocations are gifts and even our vocations are not ours. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're a truck driver, whether you are, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, whatever your vocation is, it is it is a trust that is laid upon you. 
And uh, you know, and that is that's a that's a very thing. And as ministers, this is a trust, a commission that has been laid upon us. And our reward is to get to preach this. Yep. And and so the, and I think you're right. There there is a real strong connection, not apparent at first, maybe between the Isaiah reading and the Corinthians reading. But I think both exhibit populations of God's people who were interested in human systems of power as a way to make the world right. And in both situations, you have God say no. So to the Israelites who want their yep. king and want their nation restored and want their glory restored and kind of to be politically at the t- top of the heap, um, God says, let me take care of it. Also, I'm at the top of the heap, and that's all that matters. Jesus uh, comes and enacts this ministry, has no interest in political power uh, and human systems of power, and uh, and but in the church, the early church, you immediately see them do what we do because what Paul is addressing here is pastor battles, mm-hmm. uh, picking uh, factions in the early church, and so Paul is someone who goes around from town to town, preaches the gospel for free. There's these other celebrity pastors that come around. They have incredible social media followers. Uh, mm-hmm. They are influencers uh, online, and they have and uh, the really the really long V-neck T-shirt that yes. goes to the belly button. Yeah, they yeah. have they have cool tattoos. They're very edgy, and they have you know uh, half court seats to we're, watch we're, the Knicks. We're not play. joking. We're not joking at all. Literally, there were folks like this called super apostles. Yeah, and so they come and, uh, and, and the there Corinthians. Are, there are lots of them in this country. Yeah, and it's appalling. Yeah, and so the Corinthians come, uh, and they're like, oh, these people are cooler than Paul, and they're charging us for the gospel than for their preaching and teaching. They must be better, because if, you know, you get uh-huh. what you pay for, and Paul's ministry is free, so it can't be that great. So Paul says, look, the reason it's free is because I want everybody to hear the message, and I don't want to create hierarchies of coolness within the church. And again, so the church is falling prey to this human system of power and uh, hierarchies and all this sort of stuff. And Paul says, again, no. And what's incredible about this passage is that Paul says, this is what Christians are about, actually. This is a huge teaching, and this is a little mind-blowing here. He says, I have chosen not to make full use of my rights in the gospel, in verse 18. And in a country that is obsessed with rights, and what's my right, and I know my rights, um, and again, I'm not advocating for human rights abuses and all that sort of stuff, Here, you know, hear me. Hear me, grown-ups. Um, but it's interesting that Paul knows his rights and freely gives them up because he wants not to build up himself, but to build up other people. He's more concerned with other people than he is with himself. Um, and so, and so much so, he's so not interested in his own ego, his own brand, his own identity, that he doesn't mind shedding his V-neck and tattoos to become a total nerd or to, to become, if he's from a blue state, he'll become like a red state person. If he's from a red state, he'll become like a blue state person. He doesn't care. He's not dividing the world into elites and the real people. He's not doing that because he says, I'm no longer There's under the a- law. I don't have to be any one thing. I can reach, I can take these identities mm-hmm. and I can switch them out because I want to reach people and meet them where they're at. So if I'm in a situation where somebody wants to have a Chardonnay, I'm not going to make a big stink about, I only drink Budweiser. If I'm in a situation where there's people are serving Budweiser, I'm not going to make a stink about, well, I need single malt scotch. I don't know why I picked alcohol as imagery for this, but 
but you know these things that we get like kind of prideful about like our own identity paul has no time for that because his main goal is to preach the gospel and that's what it looks like when somebody has been freed by the gospel if you are free you yeah. you're no longer climbing the ladder for power money and fame and you don't care about how other people see you uh yeah, because th- you just want to reach others and that's what he says, I became as one outside the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law so that I might win those outside the law. Um, you know, if you remember what he says in Romans, he has that radical statement, which I wish uh, a lot of Christians would hear, uh, read and inward mark and inwardly digest again. But Christ is the end of the law. So Ooh. when he says, but I'm under Christ's law, what he says, like, now I'm actually free to just love people. Uh, not because they're going to pay me back, mm-hmm. uh, but because I'm 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 there to love people. So what he's saying is he's not going and uh, you know engaging in like a Greek orgy be- to win those at the orgy. You know what I mean? <laughs> because that's harmful uh, to people. But he is there, and what he's he's saying there is that he can genuinely love. So like as you were talking about when you were a missionary in Kazakhstan, I love that. You know, and the the old father who was pouring shot vodka. Well. I can have a drink with that guy. You know what I mean? I'm not going to throw up in his living room, but um, maybe. But uh, no, I could. Uh, but I could have a. You know, it's it's that you're free to actually love people and treat them like human beings. Mm-hmm. And this is what we do when we set up VIP sections in our church, or we like, you know, um, I mean, whatever crazy things we tend to do when we begin to think that the gospel is ours, Mm -hmm. is that we forget that we are called to uh, love people, not because it makes God happy, not because it makes us more important, but because in Christ we can. Yeah, and and Paul says this amazing thing, and there's a lot of talk today about Christian nationalism and it rightfully being criticized because you got to remember that when Jesus was born there was no United States of America and uh, and and the um, current the current Israel is not God's like nation right and uh, feel free to email me and I will just bust that bubble <laughs> yeah but so what's interesting here is he says um, uh, for though I am free with respect to all verse 19 I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more of them. So what does Paul use his freedom to do? He uses it to put himself back in service to others. Um, so it's it's an amazing thing because he loves the world and he wants to see people come to faith in Christ. Um, and he's he is freed from the need to have people dote on him and fawn over him or treat him as something special. He's because he's, he knows he's loved by God. It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing and it's something that um, Again, we all fall short of this, and me included, but, but it's a good reminder that if the gospel, as the gospel begins to penetrate more deeply into your heart, you become less obsessed with how you look, how you appear, how people see you, um, and you can use your freedom to actually to serve others as opposed to prop up yourself because you're so insecure. So, mm. uh, Having said that, now we come to the Gospel of Mark at the end of chapter 1. We'll be reading through this book now in this season. And we have Jesus, the ultimate non-VIP, low-key pastor who didn't need everybody to follow him, and yet everybody's following him because everybody wants what he's got. This comes at the end of Mark chapter 1, which is an action-packed chapter. You know, Jesus is baptized, he's off in the wilderness, and now... 
boom, he is um, at uh, finally winds up um, after uh, uh, synagogue at the home of Simon uh, and Andrew with James and John, uh, where Simon's mother-in-law is sick. Now, some people would say leave her there, but um, this is uh, Simon's mother-in-law is probably like, oh, that's a good reminder too. The first pope was married. Uh, yes. So, but uh, <laughs> so he was more Anglican than he was Roman. Ew. But um. Um, uh, <laughs> for those of you that are lost now, Simon is St. Peter, who is the apostle, who becomes the bishop of Rome, who is the first pope. And uh, yeah, clearly he has a mother-in-law, which means he was married to a lady. He was an Episcopalian. So, clearly. Anyway, there. Yep. Clearly. So, um, and a fisherman. So anyway, and a fisherman, and uh, a great Marjan player. So, but... Uh, <laughs> Little known fact. He was good with the tiles. So, but... But it's amazing that uh, Jesus just steps right up and heals this woman, and uh, the fever left, and she began to serve them. There's something amazing in this, but you you had a point to make right here. Yeah, uh, I love it how the way Jesus heals is so uh, almost under, understated. He just takes her by the hand and says, hey, stand up. Uh, there's not like a for my next trick, I need a volunteer from the audience. And like, you know, waving the hands and sleight mm-hmm. of hand, sort of like, um, there's none of that. It's just, um, just here, get up. And what's interesting too mm-hmm. is they had just come back from synagogue, which it could actually still be the Sabbath. The If you go to Capernaum, you can see that the synagogue location is really, really close to Mark's, yeah. to, to Simon Peter's house. So it would have been a very short walk from the synagogue. They're coming back from church and they, they get there. But if they're not church from synagogue, but... Uh, if it is still the Sabbath, there is this little thing where this healing might be a little bit non-kosher, uh, yeah. which begins to, again, set the stage for what Jesus' ministry is going to be like, where he puts but, the people above the, the rules to some extent. I think, But I think it's very powerful that the healing comes bef- before the serving. And so yeah. and this, is, this is the thing. The gospel always comes before any service. Um, the, the, the service, uh, Simon Peter's mother's... Uh, cousin, sister's uncle, (laughs) Simon's mother-in-law, she, um, she, uh, she serves after she's been healed. It's not to get anything. And so the, the healing comes first. The gospel always comes first and then comes the service. But this is the thing is, is that we, we miss that point is that we think that it's all about, uh, gifts. And we think it's all about like all around wonderful entertainment, as you said, you know, uh, you know, and so, and this is what the crowds miss as the sun goes down. That's right. And so, uh, Jesus heals this woman. She gets up to serve and, uh, pastor, if you feel tired and unable to serve, let Jesus heal you. Come, come have some time, come rest and come mm-hmm. be with him. Uh, cause Jesus himself needs some rest as we see in this very passage. It's still dark and he gets out to a deserted place and he prays because he needs to recharge his batteries and connect. It always amazes me when Jesus has to go be by himself and pray, uh, that the son of God does not, you know, if there's anybody who could like skip a day, uh, it would be him, but he still gets up to go pray, to be with his father. And because his, uh, his ministry has been so successful and he's giving the people what they want, they are clamoring for more and for more and for more. And so, uh, you know, the show must go on. So his disciples come and look for him and, and want him to, to continue to, to do this uh, work. Uh, and they say, you know, everyone's searching for you. And 
he says, yeah, and, and I need to move on. Uh, because ultimately, so here's the thing. If Jesus' ministry was primarily service to um, sick and hurting people in sort of fixing them in an earthly sense, he would have stayed there, built a global operation to uh, disseminate healing and send out prayer cloths that he had blessed to people all around the world for a small donation, if that's what he was here to do. But he wasn't here to do that. He was here to move on, to tell as many people as he could, and ultimately to go to Jerusalem. And that's what you see throughout the Gospels, that there's this through line that moves very powerfully, like a freight train, um, uh, to the cross. Because Jesus comes not to stick around and make sure he um, gets everybody on the list in terms of healing whatever their current problem is. I mean, he's always compassionate when he sees people. He always sticks around to heal folks. Um, but he does always ultimately move on and go to the next place because he wants to, he's going somewhere. And where he's going is Jerusalem. And I think, you know, if I can tie this back to the Paul passage in Corinthians, he says, woe to me if I don't proclaim the gospel. And that's just reflecting the heart of Jesus, who also felt that same urgency, that imperative to go preach the gospel and take the message to as many people as he could, and, and to ultimately die and rise again uh, mm. uh, for the sins of the whole world. And so, woe to us if we don't preach the gospel. Uh, woe to me and Amen. to Jacob if we don't preach the gospel, um, because Jesus here demonstrates that he has to go proclaim the message um, every, uh, to as many people as possible, and to fulfill the message in his death and resurrection. And that needs to be the message from our pulpits every Sunday, and but to ourselves, and to hear it. And I need to hear yep. it, too, um, uh, in this time. We all need it because, as you said, Jake, we are exhausted. We're like the people of Israel in the Isaiah reading. We're exhausted, and we need this, this grace as much as anyone. Amen. Well, and uh, that it is that grace that is so refreshing and uh, what your people need to hear. So give it to them and give it to them freely, and then uh, join us next week as we continue another episode of Same Old Song. Somebody's looking, somebody cares, somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.